we're all the center of our own worlds, right? We're all moving around with ourselves at the center. We're doing things because of what we want and where we're going and what we're thinking about. Very rarely do we make a big effort to stop and think about the um, other people that are around us and what their experience of the same moments and all the other moments around them that are going on might be. And when we do that, I think our idea about our whole universe can shift. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about pacing yourself, where I examine how you can improve your productivity, activate your creative mind, and enhance your ideas, all through the simple act of slowing down. Today, my guest is Wendy McNaughton, a graphic journalist who's made an art of listening. And I mean that in the most literal sense. Her most personal work involves going into communities that are rarely given a voice and shining a light on the inner lives of the people who make those communities tick. The end result is a series of heartfelt, freewheeling vignettes that feel like postcards from the other side. They allow you to peek into someone else's world and therefore expand your own. Wendy did this with particular grace in her book Meanwhile in San Francisco, a portrait of the Bay Area that extends far beyond the tech entrepreneurs and hipsters we all know to the tales of communities we often hear less about and that are in danger of being erased by the rise of Silicon Valley and all the wealth that it brings. Wendy has also produced roughly a gajillion other incredible books, primarily collaborations with other creatives, which include, most recently, Leave Me Alone with the Recipes, with Sarah Rich, a book that highlights the life and work of groundbreaking female art director C.P. Pinellas, as well as Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, the best-selling cookbook she made with chef Samin Nosrat, and Lost Cat, which Wendy created with her partner, the writer Caroline Paul. But today, I'm focusing primarily on Wendy's interest in investigating and profiling unsung communities. I've noticed the word empathy coming up with increasing frequency in conversations I overhear and advice columns that I read. And I think Wendy's work, and her creative process in particular, can teach us something about what it means to listen and to truly shine the light of your attention outside of yourself. An act that can crack open whole worlds of new understanding. Let's dive in. So you've produced a huge number of projects in the past few years, um, some collaborations on books like Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat with Samin Nosrat, um, or Gutsy Girl with your partner, Caroline Paul, and then some solo projects like your own book, Meanwhile in San Francisco, or, you know, say the ongoing work that you do for the back page of California Sunday magazine. How do the ideas germinate for those personal projects, the work that you describe as illustrated journalism? Uh, Before I answer that, can I say one thing um, that I think is an important point for me, and that is the distinction between collaborative work and the work I do on my own? In some ways, I think it's all collaborative work. There's work where I have like an established collaborator who's usually an author or an expert in their field, and then I work with them. Um, But in all of the work I do... Like all of the illustrated journalism, I am working with so many different people um, interviewing them and their words are coming through in the story. So I still totally consider that a collaboration also. And also I'm working with an art director and creative director and stuff. So anyway, everything I do, I think, is a collaboration. Um, So how do I come up with ideas for this stuff? Well, paying attention. I think that is where uh, I get ideas. It comes from questions that I have. 
Uh, if I, I think it's easy for me to like well, walk around on the street. It's easy for all of us to walk around on the street or, you know, go about our daily routines and not see the things that are happening around us and not talk to the people who are around us or pay attention to um, the little details. But when like I put on this kind of paying attention hat or whatever, you know, and I'm um, walking around, I see things that I don't understand. I have questions about and those questions lead to ideas um, and, you know, people or places that I'm interested in exploring. One of the reasons that I, I really wanted to talk to you for this particular episode is that it seems like your process is very much about like getting out of the studio, getting away from your computer, getting into the world and kind of exploring these different communities. And, you know, you're observing people, but you're also talking to them. Like how important are those conversations to the end of creation? I mean, there is no end creation without those conversations. Every Most of the work that I do um, that's illustrated journalism is 100, the text is 100 um, percent the words of the people that I speak with. That's kind of my, my methodology is I go out and I um, hang out with people in a rather informal way uh, and I write down everything they say through conversation or through eavesdropping, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and then I draw pictures, usually from life. So the pictures that I take are combined with other people's words to tell a story. So I'm 100% dependent on that, um, So which means I'm 100% dependent on leaving the studio, which makes it so surprising that I still have to force myself to leave the studio sometimes. It's kind of it's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> so you don't ever really research or formulate things that you want to ask people beforehand. It's always sort of evolving organically. No, it's certainly I will. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll do some really basic research. You know, I don't want to go in um, talking to somebody with absolutely no idea uh, about, you know, what I'm interested in and what we have, you know, to talk about and what we might have in common. And, you know, um, so I'll have some general themes. But I think my style of like, quote unquote, interview is more of a non-interview. It's much more conversational. I'm trained as a social worker. And so there's this kind of um, social work approach to interviews called an empowerment interview, where it's very much focused um, on uh, the the interviewee and um, getting information from them and framing it in a way that's really about, like, supporting the strengths that we're focusing on in that conversation. And I draw that out, hopefully, in the conversations that I have as well. Right. My understanding is very much of kind of social work training is about kind of learning to, I guess, understand other people's points of view, which seems like very like sort of central to the work that you're doing. Totally. Yes. It's based in empathy and imagination, I would say. Like uh, empathy, you're trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and understand things from their perspective. And in order to do that, I feel like we really have to make a leap of imagination to um, get ourselves out of our skins um, and see the world through their eyes. And that's what I'm trying to do with this work. When I was reading one of your older interviews um, in which you said, every single person has such an incredible story to tell that will make your heart stop and your jaw drop and create such a sense of compassion and understanding. And that, to me, is the most interesting thing because once I understand what somebody has gone through in their life, I understand them in a totally different way. I respect them in a different way. And I interact with them in a different way. And I really like that because I think we're so used to sort of making staff judgments about people. Um, you know, and I love this idea that if we can be a bit more curious, a bit more open, and actually ask questions that everyone kind of has this incredible story to tell that will change the way that we view them. Like how is 
documenting these stories kind of changed you? I will give you a very like small little example. I was on the phone a couple days ago. Um, Caroline, my partner, and I, we were, we were calling um, our senators to communicate our uh, our severe displeasure with some things going on with the administration right now. And the person that I was, I think it was something around um, climate change. A nice young woman, probably 19 years old, 20 years old, something like that, answered the phone. And I told her what uh, I, why I was calling. And I told her how I was feeling. And she was so polite and so gracious, but also a little bit impersonal. And I said, wow, you know, how many of these phone calls have you gotten today? And she said, well, you know, a lot, probably 30 or 40. It's like, wow, that's a lot. Like, how is that for you? to get 30 or 40 of these emails of people, you know, calling and people are pretty upset, right? She was actually not today, not so much upset. But healthcare, people were super upset. And I said, like, really? What was that like? She goes, well, people are calling in and telling me their most personal stories and they were crying on the phone and I couldn't get through the day without just, like, losing it, you know? Um, so we ended up having like a really interesting conversation about this woman who her job is to basically, you know, be a kind of impersonal answer of phones, a receptacle of people's feelings to then transfer it, you know, up the chain politically. But she herself is like was an is an incredible person, have her own very personal experience with all of these human stories that are coming at her all the time. But she probably doesn't get the opportunity to talk about that herself. Um, we're all the center of our own worlds, right? We're all moving around with ourselves at the center. We're acting upon it or it is acting upon us. But ultimately, we're doing things because of what we want and where we're going and what we're thinking about. And very rarely do we make a big effort to stop and think about the um, other people that are around us and what their experience of the same moments and all the other moments around them that are going on might be. And when we do that, I think our idea about the whole universe, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but our whole universe can shift. Um, We can see that we're not the center of the universe, that there are all of these different perspectives that are going on at the same time and have a very different understanding of the world and a totally different relationship with other humans as a result. Well, yeah, and I'm thinking about how many, I guess, how little we know so many of the people that we see every day, like our neighbors or, you know, the people we see at our coffee shop or even coworkers who we see, you know, for hours and hours every day. And, you know, maybe we're not all going to kind of rush out after this interview and start drawing people like you do. But do you think that there are ways that people can engage more deeply to uncover some of those stories, like some of that richness, whether it's, I don't know, paying better attention or asking better questions? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I think that it can be just the person who, you know, you sit next to at work every day. I mean, there's boundaries there for a reason. We're there, you know, working together, sharing this cubicle because we have to get this stuff done, right? And so if we were always thinking about what the other person is going through in their life back home and everything, we probably wouldn't get the work done. However, um, if we get to know people, I think, outside of context a little bit, we can be much more um, compassionate and engaged in moments when it really counts. So... Like I said before, sometimes um, I'll have to push myself to get outside of the studio. And I think that's like it's literal and metaphorical. Okay, so I will like literally say, Wendy, stop it. You're being like lazy on the couch, whatever. Get up and go outside and just take a walk or just go, you know, to a coffee shop just so that I change my environment. And that will force me to have interpersonal like 
interactions with people that will force me to open up my mind and become curious about the way that other people are experiencing the world, which then triggers something in me. It leads to something else. It like leads to question asking. So we all need to just jumpstart ourselves a little bit, find like tricks that help us jumpstart ourselves. So maybe for some people um, that saying, next time you're waiting in line at a coffee shop, turning around and asking the person how their day is going, you know, something like that. Or maybe um, it is if one is at the dog park um, asking not only what the dog's name is, but the dog owner's name is and where they live. You know, it's just going that extra little step beyond um, the kind of questions that we usually ask of the people we usually ask it of. And I feel like a whole world can really open if we let it. When you were talking about sort of inertia and, uh, you know, I think um, in a way like kind of getting too comfortable in your routine, right? Oh, is, let's say if your routine is like going yeah. to your studio. Um, I mean, how how uncomfortable is it for you kind of putting yourselves in these situations when you're like, OK, I'm going to go, you know, explore this community that I'm completely unfamiliar with? You would think that I would be super comfortable with it by now, that I would just be jazzed to wake up at like whatever, 6 a.m. and hit the road and, you know, or head out at 11, whatever I have to do. But every single time I get this nervous feeling in the pit of my stomach, like, oh, it would just be so much easier to turn around and go back. It's easier in front of the computer. I have emails to write, you know, like the emails seem like a really urgent and safe place in those moments. And I have to push myself just to keep going. Um, I don't know if we ever really get over that. I don't know if anybody does. I mean, now I've just recognized the tools that I have. So I force myself to get out. I use a sketchbook. A sketchbook for me um, is kind of like this magical cloak or this kind of like item. It's not an invisible cloak. It's like a it's like an empowerment cloak. Like I feel um like much uh, less vulnerable and less insecure and less afraid when I'm holding my sketchbook. I feel like I have a sense of purpose in that moment um, and a pen. And it it um, allows me to do something that is put – I put something down on paper and people will actually come up to me and ask me what I'm doing, which is a really easy way for me to start engaging. Yeah, I was going to ask you how much of it tends to be you initiating the conversation, how much of it is people kind of coming up and talking to you because you're drawing and they're sort of curious what you're up to. I think it depends on the place. Uh, in some circumstances, it's more appropriate for me to walk up to people and to start a conversation. Um, but in, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I'm... If it's kind of a crowded place at a park or something like that, it would be a very natural and normal thing for somebody um, to wander up to a group of people and start talking to them. But if I'm like really out of place or um, if uh, I could be, I don't know, some kind of a threat or something like that, um, I could be perceived like that in some way, um, then it's much better if I kind of hang back and let let people come to me. Um so I did a story about uh, the San Francisco Public Library, and that was an interesting one because that's a place where you can't really talk a lot. Like literally, it's the library. So um, that was a, a good example of where I hung back for a while and I let um, people come up and ask me what I was doing. And then once I started talking to a few people, I asked them to introduce me to other people within the library. 
Um, another example would be a story that I did about um, Fifth and Sixth Street, which is a couple intersections here in San Francisco. Fifth Street is like a very kind of you know gentrified, hustling, bustling place of business, and Sixth Street is um, has a really high crime rate, and there's a lot of um, uh, single night hotels and stuff there. And so on Fifth Street, I was always rushing up to people and trying to talk to them, um, trying to get their attention. It was really hard to do that. Whereas on Sixth Street, you know, um, it's a pretty tight knit community. And I just hung back for a while and let people come up to me. Do you think that drawing is a form of talking in a sense, like a way of conversing? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I would say it's not a form of talking. It's a form of listening. When I draw somebody, I pay very deep, slow attention to them. And I notice details about their jawline or their shirt or their stance um, or how they're wearing their bag, things like that that say a lot. Um, but it's But it's quietly said. Um, and it's things that I don't pay attention to unless I'm drawing. So I think it is a form of listening for sure. Well, like a way of being more present, I guess. Very much so. Yeah. It's a lot like, um, like painting when I used to paint, uh, in oils and I would, you know, let's say, I don't know, draw, uh, still life, like a cup and a flower or something like that for eight hours. And after looking really hard at this cup and flower, I remember walking outside and looking at a tree and being completely overwhelmed by the number of greens that I saw. Um, I had never seen so many different kinds of greens before. And it taught me that um, as we pay attention and look look very closely and very deeply at things, um, it changes our brain. It changes what we can notice and what we can see. And it's a matter of practice. It's like a muscle. And the more we do that, the more that we can literally see. It's time now to take a quick break, but keep those earbuds in because afterwards, Wendy and I talk about the magic of in-person communication versus our default preference for text and email and why it's so important to step outside of our comfort zones and talk to strangers. This episode is brought to you by Hover. Got a killer idea? I think we all know what step number one is these days. Go see if the domain name is available and assuming it is, get that URL on lock. Finding the domain name that matches your passion is basically the first step in building your brand. Because if your brand doesn't have a website, let's be honest, it's not really a thing. Fortunately, Hover makes being the master of your domain easy. They have a mind-boggling amount of extensions to choose from, including all the classics, plus some niche ones that I'd never heard of like .pro and .vc, or my personal favorite, .wtf. But one of the best features of Hover is that everything is included, so they're not always trying to upsell you. Who is privacy is included with every domain for free. The overall user interface is refreshingly clean. And nifty integrations like Hover Connect make it super easy to connect your domain to popular services like Squarespace, Shopify, and Tumblr with just a few clicks. So if you've got an idea that you're passionate about, start laying the groundwork by heading over to hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash hurry slowly. I actually wanted to come back to something you were touching on earlier, which is sort of the 
the safety of the computer and the safety of email. I think that so many of the conversations that we have these days are mediated, you know, whether through text or email or social media, you know, or maybe even our conversation is just being mediated by the fact that, you know, you and I are sitting at a cafe table and your phone is sitting on the table there between us. Um, what do you think is different that happens in, you know, a face-to-face conversation? Obviously, you're not, you know... Everything. Oh, my God. It's completely different. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of the text, okay? It is a primary mode of interpersonal communication between me and my friends. I love it. Um, but it's very different. Uh, it, it is a safe distance, Um when we're in person, we, there are so many different things going on. It's not um, we have what we hear, what the person is saying, what we're saying. We have what we see. All the micro expressions are constantly sending, you know, uh, information about how the other person and how we are feeling back and forth. Our body posture, our volume, all of these things, you know, uh, they're all sending messages between us. Um, and in that, like. Those threads, like, make a fabric of a relationship. Um, and if we're just, you know, on text or we're just an email, there's only a couple threads there, two at most, really. Um, so although we can communicate a, a lot of information to one another, that's great, but we can't really establish a relationship, I don't think. Yeah, you can't. Com- it's communicating feelings, sentiment, empathy. Etc. Um, I mean, it's weird, though, because letters, right? Like, le- I mean, letters throughout history have been such an important form of um, expressing, you know, feelings. Uh, but so often those love letters, when they're expressing feelings, are about how, I guess, you know, people can't wait to see each other in person. <laughs> I was discussing that with someone the other day, but I also think, right, it's just such a different medium. Like, you would never write the same, you know, you would never write to someone in an email what you would write to them in a letter, right? There's just this level of like preciousness, you know, and maybe even, um, you know, romantic grandeur that um, you would communicate in a letter that you would never communicate in an email, you know, perhaps because you put the letter in an envelope and you mail it and you can't, you know, reread it again and you're send box while you <laughs> anxiously await a response, <laughs> but it's, it's so, oh, yeah. <laughs> what you choose is so different, you know? Right. You can't like refresh the post person, right? You can't like get them to come and deliver the mail any faster as you hit refresh. I agree with that. And I also think that it's the act of um, putting a pen to paper and it is dragging a tip, um, a sharp tip across a paper with ink that pours out of it, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. And then putting our thoughts down on paper um, in this in this way that is a, it is an art it's an artistic feat, right? We're drawing or we're almost like carving into the paper these feelings that we have. Um, so I think that we end up communicating sheerly because of the physical act in a different way than if we're like to be tap tapping, you know, on a keyboard. It's a totally different physical act. There's no way that can't influence um, how we're processing our feelings. I'm curious for you how much of, um, you know, obviously having these conversations with people is sort of, you know, the bread and butter of your work, but how much for you as just a creative person, like what type of role does 
conversation play in terms of like your creative process. And so I'm not necessarily talking about conversations with say, you know, someone you're intentionally going out to kind of observe on the street, but just kind of more like thinking out loud, um, you know, and that kind of interplay of ideas with other people. Like if you and I were to sit down at a coffee shop and just like talk or at a bar? Exactly. I mean, considering the amount of time I spend doing those two things, I'd say it informs my work a lot, (laughs) Uh, especially the latter, I guess. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, like, do you find that you're that type of person, though? Like a like a like, do you get a lot of ideas when you're kind of thinking out loud or are you? Oh, it's embarrassing to say I don't even know what the uh, what, you know, when the alternative would be. I don't know. <laughs> I only think out loud. That's how I figure stuff out. Um, much to my partner's chagrin, she's an excellent listener <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I work things out through talking about them. Um, and I might have, you know, um, uh, a seed of an idea and that might pop up seemingly out of nowhere while on a walk. But in order to kind of articulate that idea and figure out how um, – you know, it's expressed like that's totally through conversation. So, I mean, make no bones about it. Like I'm an extrovert and I'm chatty. (laughs) So that definitely helps uh, with the kind of work that I do. But I think that this kind of work forces me also to shut up a little bit (laughs) and take the spotlight um, kind of off of myself when we have a conversation like if you and I were be sitting down at a bar and talking we'd be playing like ping pong with a spotlight right the spotlight would be going back and forth between us and we'd be talking about ourselves and each other you know um, and that's a conversation so um, my goal is to take that spotlight and put it on another person while still engaging in that kind of interpersonal um, conversational mode of communication, but really have the spotlight on the person. And not only do I benefit from that because I get to learn from the person, hopefully the person who is has the spotlight on them benefits from it as well because the people that I'm most interested in talking about, trust me, do not get spotlights very often. You know, they're people who um, are more unnoticed in society. Final question. Why should we talk to strangers? <sighs> what's the meaning of life (laughs) Jesus Jocelyn (laughs) Um, because our world gets so much bigger and richer and deeper and more interesting and we develop more um, compassion and connection to other humans in the world and it changes who we are, I believe, on like, I mean, such almost a genetic kind of way, structural way. It changes um, how we see the world and how we interact with people. And it can only be for the better, I think. I know. I'm pretty sure of that. What is the meaning of life? Well, I'm certainly not going to attempt to answer that question, but I'll back Wendy up on the idea that it clearly has something to do with connecting to our fellow humans. And I'm not talking about connecting on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or text message. I'm talking about in person, where you have to do the hard work of listening or of drawing someone out. Situations where you can't just ghost when the going gets awkward. 
As we all know, it's easier than ever to live in our little bubbles and to only spend time with like-minded people. But what you may not know is that merely acknowledging the need for more empathy doesn't necessarily get us beyond the bounds of our own echo chambers. As humans, we have a natural predisposition to feel more empathy for our own in-group. And we're less likely to feel empathy for people of different races, nationalities, or creeds. What's more, as we climb the social ladder and accrue more wealth and power, our ability to empathize typically shrinks. Less affluent individuals are actually significantly more likely to be compassionate than those who are well-off. The good news is, if we believe we have the ability to expand our feelings of empathy, we can. But like anything that produces vast rewards, empathy takes time. We have to pause and deliberately shine the light of our attention on someone else without expectation and without knowing what the outcome will be. Just listening with an open mind and a readiness to change your perspective. Listening attentively, just like you are right now. Normally, this is the moment where I would tell you what the upcoming episode is about. But as I record this, I have to admit, I don't really know what it is. That said, if you want to make sure that you never do miss an episode or you feel like you just don't have enough Jocelyn in your life, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at hurryslowly.co. The newsletter is a real labor of love for me where I share recent writing and questions I'm wrestling with, as well as a tightly curated collection of articles about finding more creativity and meaning in your daily work. Usually there is also some really cool artwork. So if you'd like to sign up, navigate on over to hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. And now it's time for a final moment of Zen. How would you describe creativity in 10 words or less? It's paying attention and putting a light on things we might otherwise overlook. This show was produced by Matt Susich, who listens to everything attentively and then smooths out all the vocal wrinkles to produce a beautiful final product. Our theme song, which is playing in the background right now, was composed by Devin Craig Johnson. If you dug this show, think about popping out your earbuds for a hot minute and recommending it to a stranger. Who knows? Maybe you'll make a new friend. Maybe you'll meet the love of your life. And all because you stepped out of your bubble and told them about this podcast. As always, thanks for listening, and remember to take your time.